Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Our guest today is Rich Valenza. Rich Valenza is the founder and CEO of Raise a Child, a national nonprofit building loving families for foster children. When a mother's reaction is disappointing and not the support you were needing and expecting, remember to keep a window open in your relationship because one day she just might surprise you. Hi, Rich. Welcome to If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother. <laughs> Hi, how are you? We're thrilled to have you here, and we really, really want to talk more about the work you do and your organization, but we want to um, have you read your story first, Okay. which we loved. We loved finding you. Yes, definitely. And um, when we read about your organization, um, we just thought it would be perfect for the podcast. Well, good. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And thanks for the opportunity. Why don't you give us a little context? Just tell us a little bit about why you wrote this, uh, to just give the audience a little bit of context before you read. Okay. So the decision to build a family and the desire I had behind that uh, took me years to figure out. Hmm. Um, it took me a while to figure out what method I thought would be right for me as a single man, as a gay man to, to build a family. And this story is kind of that process and uh, kind of speaks to how I was feeling and what I experienced and uh, the outcome from it. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Great. Okay, so why don't you read your story to us? Okay, you got it. I call this story The Secret, Misperceptions and Misinformation. For about six months, I kept the secret from my family and, and most friends. But this was the day. The kind of late autumn Saturday afternoon in Southern California, where you can still drive with your sunroof open and windows down, knowing that family and friends back northeast were certainly not enjoying the same luxury. Everything was perfect, and I was in a celebratory mood. I had just finished my eighth full day of training and was driving home with a paper certificate required to move on to the next step. I could keep the secret no longer, and I rolled up the car windows, hit redial, and pressed the flip phone to my ear. Hello, Mom. How's it going? Well, Penn State won today, my mother replied. I think the final score was something like 30 points difference. Did you watch the game? Nah, I replied. We don't usually get all of the games out here, but I couldn't have watched the game today anyhow. I was in 
class all day. I've been in class every Saturday for weeks. Well, what kind of class, she asked. Well, I haven't wanted to say anything until I got this far in the process. I confessed, but I wanted to surprise you. Surprise me, my mother hesitated. Surprise me with what? This was one of those moments that I had been imagining and reimagining for years. I had pictured this moment to involve laughter and joy. My mother and I would congratulate one another, and now this moment was real. I wanted to wait until I was well on my way. I spoke loudly over the wind from the open sunroof. Well, remember when I told you I was gay and that you said how disappointed you were that I'd never be able to give you a grandchild, right? Oh, yes, she said. So I'm going to make you a grandmother again, I said loud and proud. What are you talking about? My mother asked with a tone that was more curt than curious. Well, I'm talking about, I answered, that I just finished classes with the county and I'm about to get certified and licensed and I've been thinking about it for years, but well, I'm, I'm well on my way now. And there was a silence on the other end of the phone, so I filled it. Mom, I'm going to adopt. I'm going to make you a grandma again. Still silence. This time I checked my phone to make sure that we were still connected and we hadn't lost signal. So I put the phone back to my ear. Hello, I asked, mom, are you there? Did you hear me? And finally, my mother spoke. I'm just concerned for you, she said. I'm afraid that you will get hurt. Uh, how am I gonna get hurt? You know, uh, they're never gonna give you a kid, my mother informed me. I was stunned. Never in my imagining of this joyful moment did I expect to hear this. You know, she went on in a manner uh, that was matter of fact, you are gay, you are single, you are probably too old, and they are never going to give you a kid. And if they do, they're not going to give you a good kid. That phone call with my mother took place over 14 years ago. But every word has stuck with me. I still call my mother several days out of each week. In one of those phone calls and conversations, just days, years ago, after the Supreme Court decision to overturn Prop 8, my mother asked me, so what do you think of all that's being said in D.C. nowadays? I don't know, I said. I'm hoping that we, we win, but who knows how this whole decision will go. I will tell you one thing, my mother said with a defiant tone in her voice. All anyone needs to see is the great job that you and Jared are doing with your two children. If they knew how far these kids came and how well you're doing with them, no one in their right mind would even question what is right and what is wrong. And in that moment, I was moved and speechless. Finally, the moment that I had anticipated arrived and took me by complete surprise. Right then, 
I realized that no matter how grown up a kid is, it is always powerful to hear good things from one's parent. We're going to speak in just a minute before we get our shit together. (laughs) It's so true how much a parent's words mean to us. It, It does. And it doesn't matter how old we get, you know. No, not at all. Yeah, so moving. As soon as you started to say, I've always imagined, you know, telling my mom, I'm going to make her a grandmother. Um, we're in, we're all in because we've all had that exact same experience, right? Mm-hmm. And and as soon as she starts to react, we're also all sick to our stomachs because we, we've also all experienced that reaction, you know, or not getting the reaction we imagine. And that's why it's so beautiful when it comes full circle back and your mom just acknowledges the amazing parent that you were meant to be and are and have become, you know? Well, thank you. Um, You know, my mother um, is uh, maybe not so unusual, but Mm -hmm. uh, among our siblings, we often laugh uh, that sometimes she has the knack of saying exactly the wrong thing at the, at the wrong time. Um, and, you know, I see in my parenting of my kids, um, sometimes when they're talking to me, I hear the voice in the back of my head uh, that could lead me to maybe do that same thing. It, it is amazing yeah. how much we pick up from our parents as we yes. um, try to parent our own kids. But, uh, but yeah, this, this moment... Um, and so, that's kind of how life is sometimes that when you're planning for something and looking for a reaction, uh, it doesn't happen in the way that we expect. And, and it's important in life, I think, to be open to when those occasions could happen. So, yeah, that moment where my mother stood up for us. She didn't do it in front of anybody but me on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. She's 2,000 miles away. But um, it was a pivotal moment for me and my relationship with my mother, too. Of course. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and the growth it shows in her, you know, I mean. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. That's what's so moving. Yeah. Right. The, and in the beginning, you know, I could hear, I could hear your mother and She's got a lot of fear for you, you know, if, if I don't right. know where she lives and, and all those things, but she knows that already with you being a gay man and coming out, that was already probably going to be some trouble for you and some fears as a mother she has for you. And then now you're taking this other step and she is, you, you hear her wondering if you're going to be still okay by making all these bold, bold choices, just like, and they're not very bold because they are what people do every day, but in some circles into her, she just, you can hear, she didn't want you to hurt. Right. And yeah, I understand that too. Now as a parent, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, it's amazing. We worry every day you know, countless times a day. <laughs> are we are we saying the right things to our kids? Are we 
you know, should they be wearing a down jacket today when they're going to school or are they going to be too hot? And like, you know, the things run through your head all the time. Yeah. And what I, I sometimes have challenges with LGBT people that, you know, initially when they came out to their parents, if they had a bad reaction, it's, it's important to kind of realize the context of the life that your parents are experiencing and have experienced. No question. And, you know, time does heal. And um, I don't know, it's an argument that my partner and I have all the time. Um, I, I feel like there was a year after I came out to my parents, uh, you know, that moment, I hate to dwell on this stuff. But, no, please. But, you know, my dad was the, the guy who took us to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother and I were very, very close. And so I had figured that maybe I would start and come out to my siblings and they would help me then with my parents. But um, as, it, as it happened, I sat with that for years and I thought, no, if my fear is my parents, then I'm going to go right to my parents. Mm. And so I sat them down one time when I was back in central Pennsylvania visiting. And um, I said to them one night, uh, I have something to share with you. And we got into it and, and I was, I, I learned so much about my dad because I fully expected my dad to be on the other side, uh, him being Catholic and a devout Catholic. Um, and he amazed me in that moment because the only two questions he asked me was, well, is this why you moved to California? Because, hmm. of course, everybody on the East Coast think we're a bunch of liberal crazies out here. Mm-hmm. So, so, but his second question was, uh, and this was back in the early, um, uh, when was it? Uh, early 90s, I guess. And he looked at me and he said, are you okay? I mean, health-wise, are you okay? Hmm. And uh, it it moved me so much because I, I learned that if he's a man of faith, he approached it, I think, in the in the best way by expressing his concern. Um, my mother, on the other hand, was um, you know, well, don't tell anybody, don't tell your siblings, don't tell. Uh, this is embarrassing and, and all of that at the complete opposite wow. um, response that I thought I was going to get. So the two of them kind of switched roles. And mm-hmm. in that moment, I grew, I had such uh, a learning experience about my dad. And in this story I wrote, it took my mother some time because from that night that I told her, mm-hmm. we went for a year without really talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have to wait until I figured on a Wednesday night that she went to bingo at the VFW to call my dad Mm -hmm. and check in on him. And that went on for a year. Um, Which brings it back. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I say, which just, it it, it goes back to what Lupe was saying. I mean, she was afraid on so many levels. I mean, she couldn't even speak to you because she was so afraid of all of it. And here's the thing, you know, um, I had a similar experience when my brother came out to my mom. She's, and my mom, 
was extremely liberal and extremely stuff. Extremely liberal. <laughs> she went to bed for a few days. Do you know what I mean? And and found out about herself things that she wasn't proud of, which were fear fear based. You know, uh, he would have a harder road in life. Um, people, what would people think? Was she at fault? I mean, like crazy. But you know, my mother was not opposed to making it all about her. But that's still it was fear based. You know, and a surprise to all of us mm-hmm. that she reacted that way. So I get that, but. You know, here's the deal. When we know better, we do better. We view everything through our own prism, right? And our own life experiences. And that, especially that generation of our parents, that generation, this was so new to them that that they almost couldn't help but come from fear. I mean, how could... Right. When... I remember my dad saying to us, you know, I was going to marry a Jewish boy and my brother married a Mexican girl and my cousin married a black guy. And my dad was freaked the hell out, you know, because (laughs) it was so different from just the white middle class uh, existence that he had grown up with. So um, I get it. And yet the beauty is when they, when they grow from us stepping out, speaking our truth, standing up for what we believe it. And they, they come up to snuff and we can only hope that we will do the same with our children. You know, I mean, yeah, that's the key. Yeah. That's, that's the key for me. I mean, you know, I, I hear from LA County department of children and family services that, um, they, they don't have data on this, but they do have the experience and the stories that LGBT people, when they adopt kids, they seek out as much um, therapeutic services for the kids and all as possible. And I know that uh, for me, uh, with with uh, the kids that uh, Jared and I have been blessed to, to have, mm-hmm. um, I, I I want for them to have every opportunity and every experience possible in hopes that we're raising kids that have an open mind and, and are accepting and, and approach their future with like understanding that they have full potential to do whatever they want to set out to do, mm-hmm. you know? And some of this you can impart on kids and some of it, you know, it's, it's who they are and what they want to be. Um, mm-hmm. So, so some of the same struggles that, you know, I experienced with my mother, I, I have in a different way with my own kids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The beauty is that your mom got to see by example that you were going to be okay. That you had children, you were having a life, she had grandkids, and you're still standing. They're totally okay. They're thriving. They're thriving. And she, if someone could just see you, you know, and that's just it. If if she could have seen the potential of her son Mm -hmm. back when she was fearing what was coming, Mm -hmm. she could she could have that a different opinion, but she just couldn't see that potential that you were going to be okay. And that I think that is parents that fear, you know, my kids are in their twenties. And when I've seen 
at times where it's like, I do not like where we're going. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, me, I'm Catholic. I do, I do pull out those rosary beads and I'm like, okay, help me stay centered. Help me stay calm. God, please. Cause I just right. have to sit and witness where we're about to go. Yeah. Huh. Well, because I think, look, I think that's human nature too, especially when you, when you're so attached to somebody or you're so, you feel so responsible for their happiness, especially right. with our children, you, you want to get in there, you know? So right. that's why yeah. you can understand your mom and forgive it because, you know, I mean, you want to get in there just with the classes they're choosing for next year, or you want to get in there with, yes. you know, the person that they might have a crush on. And it's so hard not to, you know, not to just steer the boat every flipping day, you know? And let them actually maybe show you the way. And, and we had a guest, I don't know, uh, a month or two ago, this this girl, Bird, Size Love. And she talked about how, you know, children are our teachers and we're just their guides. We're guiding them into adulthood. But they really reveal so much uh, of who we are to ourselves, you know. And it's so true. It's so true. You find out who you are every day parenting a child and <laughs> what you're willing to walk through, what you're not. And like Loopy runs to her rosary beads and just asks for patience. I, I meditate, you know? <laughs> I, I take a hike or say verbally, I, I need a timeout from you and I just leave the house, <laughs> whatever it is <clears throat> to be able to let them bloom however they're going to bloom. And, you know, the, the tough thing is to let them learn from making mistakes yes. you know, like we probably had the chance to do. Uh, so yeah, to unplug enough to allow them that freedom to, to learn from mistakes. It's a, a challenge as well. Yeah. And I was just thinking right now, it's like the mom you spoke to some 15, 14 years ago and the mom she is today, just her growth would have blown her away if she could just look back on, what what these past 14 years have taught her. Exactly, exactly. So tell us about Raise a Child. So Raise a Child is um, a nonprofit. You know, when I was going through that experience of training and certification, uh, there were things that were said uh, that made me feel uncomfortable and wonder whether or not I was really supposed to be doing this. Um, Hmm. The one experience that sticks out in my mind is that probably halfway through the training classes, uh, they divide up the, the class. I think they still do this. They divide uh, the room up into pairs. And I was put with a woman, a, a single mom uh, who wanted to foster. And I can't tell you what our case study was, but I very much remember there were two um elderly, uh, single women who were dressed rather conservatively, like with blouses, with uh, high collars and things like that. Mm -hmm. And of all the cases that they got, they got a case uh, that they stood up to present and they read it. And uh, you are fostering a 15-year-old African-American boy who in recent months has been having trouble in high school. And... Um, one day he comes home from school and he shares that he believes he may be gay. What do you do? And the one woman uh, said, well, 
I have a 14-year-old boy of my own in my home, so I'd have to get rid of the 15-year-old because I wouldn't want him to make my son gay. Mm -hmm. And with that, I was kind of like uh, chuckling to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, The other woman said, in my experience, I'm um, a very religious person, and this is against my religion, so I'd have to get rid of the the foster youth Mm. myself. And I just waited. And of course, this was at least 15 years ago that I went through this class. I just waited for the three instructors of the class to address this and talk about the laws in California and talk about, you know, the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. what happened instead, they kind of looked at one another and were embarrassed. And they said, okay, let's let's go on and didn't address it at all. And so... Um, for me, that really kind of set me back because on the other side of this, I told no one that I decided to do this. I told no one that I was taking the classes. Um, so I sat with that from one Saturday to the next and, and really wasn't sure whether I wanted to go forward or not. Anyhow, I guess I was either stubborn enough or stupid enough and and went ahead, (laughs) but it wasn't a stupid thing because... I did, in the end, get these two beautiful kids. And um, so I I always imagined uh, when I would get my parenting legs under me that I'd go back and volunteer for the county, um, maybe mentor people, whatever it may be. And uh, so I remember the phone call when I got uh, the right person on the phone at the Department of Children and Family Services, I said, um, hi, my name is, and I'd like to, to volunteer for you. And the woman said, well, we're not hiring. I said, no, I'm not looking for a job. I want a, a volunteer and uh, whatever. So we started this relationship. And, and over the years, the idea of Raise a Child as an organization came out. And what we do is find the messaging and the branding to educate people, which is what the whole article is about um, that I wrote. Right. The idea of these kids in the system, I, you know, I hear constantly people have the wrong impression of kids or the wrong impression of what their potential is or who these kids are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're out with um, campaigns two times a year on the radio, uh, outdoor advertising, whatever it may be. But then we host events that are free events for people to come to. And most of the time, if we don't have trouble with, uh, with uh, the, uh, the state liquor board, uh, we'd like to meet people at the door with a glass of Prosecco to make them <laughs> relax a little bit yeah. because it, it took up them a lot of nerve to come out and it's probably something because I remember how I felt when I went to that. And so every step of the way, we're trying to make people comfortable and break down the walls that they may have built up against the idea of fostering and adopting and the kids and who the parents are and blah, blah, blah. And so we built into this organization, not only the, the, the campaigns and the outreach, but we, we put together, with the help of many foundations, a support team of people. Um, we call them our parent advocates. 
that as soon as you go to the Raise a Child website, um, you're, you fill out a form and our parent advocates will reach out to you within 12 to 24 hours and talk with you and, and find out what your ideas are, what your fears are and all. And then we really provide a customer service element that is kind of void in the foster system. Um, here in LA County, uh, one of the uh, board of supervisors, one of the supervisors calls us the concierge of foster care. Mm. And that's a a label that I'm pretty proud of. Oh, you definitely should be. I mean, you've thought of this. Um, We're going to have someone on, uh, Diane Pomerantz. Mm -hmm. Um, And her episode isn't up yet. I don't know if it'll be up by the time people hear this one. But we were talking about uh, adoption. She she adopted a child and she she had a child. And I was asking her, you know, what what do you think... uh, some of the problems in, in adoption are, and she's like, you don't know who you got. And my, my thing was, well, you don't know who you got when, you know, when you get they, birth when to you get birth. <laughs> trust me, I was shocked, <laughs> but, um, but, but the other part was, um, I got to grow when you have a child as a baby you get to grow with them. So as you see them evolving and needing different things or being a certain way, um, you, you get to unfold this uh, trying to problem solve, find the right solutions, this. But you're giving a child at an older age, um, all of a sudden you're, you're thrown into the deep end. Playing catch up all the time. Yeah, and, and so for yeah. there to be a concierge, someone to help you, questions and ask how, I mean that is right. just vital yeah. I can't believe it doesn't yeah. exist already. like everywhere right mm-hmm. exactly exactly one thing I wanted to share um, you know with people saying well I don't know that I want to foster adopt because you don't know what you mm-hmm. got you know I say to people at these um, Prosecco field events that we do <laughs> um, okay Katie and I are going <laughs> yeah <laughs> We have a few coming up. We need a trip. Um, (laughs) There you go. What I say to people is, you know, understanding that kind of logic out there with with most people, I say, turn right now and look at your partner if you came with a partner. Because people are so concerned about the kids that they're going to raise. But, you know, you look at it you find someone in your life that like makes your heart sing. You find somebody that, you know, suddenly you can't wait for them to call to have a second date. And the path that you take with that person, you bring them into your life and you share your bed and you share your home with them. And soon you're sharing your bank account or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be. Do you, I don't know many people that often run a credit check on uh, a a partner before they have their second date with them. So it's like, I don't really understand that logic Mm -hmm. um, of discriminating against a young child Mm -hmm. when, you know, in in your own love life, you don't follow those same rules. So that's so so perfect. Well, and that's the whole, you know, uh, misperception Mm-hmm. And you're just framing it differently so someone can actually view it through a different lens. And that is needed in this um, foster care adoption system. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's how we. That's how we evolve. We help each other grow. We just give you a different way to look at things and um, think about things, and then boom, you look at your mom. Look what happens. Mm-hmm. I just love mm-hmm. that. Me too. <laughs> um, I'm just going to ask you quickly. Do you know of this organization here in LA called um, Hope in a Suitcase? Have you heard of them? I have. Um, I thought they were out of New Jersey, no? They might be. I, I, I've just gone to fill suitcases here in LA, so I assumed they were from here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it's a, a great organization. If it's the same or, or not, it sounds uh, similar. Uh, children in foster care are moved mm-hmm. um, from placement to placement. Uh, right. Most times with just their goods in, in uh black trash bags in black trash bags exactly and so the idea is to give the children uh something that they can be proud of yes Um, so yeah i think it's a it's a great thing and fill it with a few personal items that at age appropriate personal items that they Mm -hmm. can take with them from place to place if that is in fact what happens right um i spent many, many years being a Girl Scout leader. And for my eldest, we did, there's a, there's a community service here where you fill um, shoeboxes, but you decorate, the, the girls decorated the shoeboxes really cute. So they can be kind of like jewel boxes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then tons of things that someone would need in the middle of getting yanked out of their house by social services or a zillion other things. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember having that be a community service that we did. And it was, it yeah. Was, I, brought me very aware back when of how sudden these children, their uh, lives affected, are yes. abruptly affected and moved and moved. And how important right. it is for us to really consider the foster children, uh, you know, certainly as much, but almost more than adopting babies, new babies. These are children who need us now, you know, and and I think what you're doing is is beautiful and really important. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we started out at Raise a Child. Um, the county got a federal grant um, back under a much different administration uh, uh, to encourage more uh, outreach to the LGBT community. I mean, there's a study recently by the Williams Institute at UCLA that same-sex couples are seven times more likely to foster and adopt hmm. different sex couples. So knowing, you know, this potential of a, a community that would be open to foster and adopt, the county um, brought me in and <clears throat> I became like their token uh, mm-hmm. gay advisor uh, <laughs> there for a while. Um, so when we started Raise a Child, our focus was really on outreach to the LGBTQ community. And uh, about our second year in business, one of our uh, partner uh, agencies gave me a call on a Monday and said, Rich, you'll never guess what happened when we were doing a training on Saturday. We were about to to break for lunch. And uh, a woman raised her hand and said, before we all break up for lunch, do you mind if I address the class and the instructor was like, well, uh, no. And she said, I was thinking this rarely happens. I don't know what's going to come out of this lady's mouth. And she said, um, so the woman stood up and she said, I have a confession to make to all of you. And there was a class of probably 34 people, something like that. 
And she said, um, I have always wanted to foster and adopt. Mm -hmm. And she said, when I heard about Raise a Child, I went on and went to the event and signed on and all. And I find myself here. And she said, I want you all to know that I have been kind of misleading you. I'm not a lesbian. I'm a older, middle-aged, single, uh, straight woman that never felt that I could go into a class where married couples, where the husband or the wife may look at me and kind of judge me for what I wanted to do and what I felt in my heart. And so I came here and I feel very comfortable in this group of diverse folks and I apologize for misleading you, but I hope you'll accept me for who I am. And I guess the whole class kind of like broke up into like uneasy laughter at first, Mm -hmm. as I did on the phone with my friend. But what I realized was what we created for one community really works so well for, because everybody has something about themselves or some experience in their life where you know, their hair wasn't the right color. They were maybe a few pounds overweight or underweight, or, you know, their last name wasn't really what the group was, whatever it may be. And what we've done at Raise a Child, I think, is to really get the message out that everybody is valued. Everybody is welcome because it's such a serious um, issue we have in the numbers of kids going into foster care across the country. It's growing with the opioid crisis that's going on. Families are in trouble. And, um, you know, again, with what's happening happening politically, um, there's less and less money being appropriated to to really working with families and helping them out uh, all across the country. So, uh, you know, I'm proud of the fact that everybody, regardless of your color, your age or whatever, your religion, whatever, everybody is welcome here and we're going to do our best and it would be our honor to help anybody be a great parent for a foster child. Beautifully said. And we will have all of your information and how to get in touch with you. We'll have all of that on our website and in the show notes of the podcast so people can find you easily. Thank you. Thank you. I am passionate about parenting. (laughs) I'm I'm very Mm. much a parent advocate. And I just know when you know better, you do better. And some people just need a little help. That's all. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah. And don't be surprised if we walk in and introduce ourselves when you give us that glass of Prosecco. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. Okay. That's the show. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.